Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Hi there. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I just want to welcome you guys. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Um, Adrian, thank you for your share. Uh, there was uh, a lot that you said. We have different lives, but um, there was a lot that you said that that I went through the exact same thing and some of the feelings that, that he had, particularly um, how hard it is to ask for help um, because that was that was the hardest thing that I, that I could ever do. Um, so, uh, again, my name is Steve. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is March 23rd, 2015. And for most of that time, this has been my home group. Um, this is my family, and uh, they keep me alive. So um, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Um, you know, if you were here to get a um, very entertaining drunk log, uh, you're probably going to leave disappointed. Um, I am an example that you can be an alcoholic and just be a beer drinker. Um, I uh, grew up in a small town in north central Washington, uh, upper middle class, um, a family that had uh, showed its children unconditional love. Um, I did well in school. I did well in sports. Had a lot of friends. Um, didn't drink a lot in high school. Uh, went to the parties, um, but I had a crush on a girl who was Mormon, and so I thought that if I started drinking, you know, I probably wouldn't have a shot with her. So, uh, but I would still go to all the parties, um, and all the parties in high school were, were pretty much the same. Um, you know, there was uh, whoever's house it was. Uh, they were either completely wasted or um, uh, freaked out that their house was getting trashed. Um, there's usually a kid that was, uh, you know, on the couch next to a thing of vomit. And uh, there was also, you know, a fight going on in the, uh, in the driveway. Um, you know, I might have a beer when I was there. Um, but it really, uh, you know, getting drunk wasn't sort of what I was into at that time. I guess I was kind of a bit of a holy roller as a, as a high school kid. Um, went off to college, and uh, I went my freshman year down to the University of Arizona. And that was a very different environment from what I had grown up in. And I remember I joined a fraternity down there, and I was at a party um, first couple of weekends, and I was sort of sitting there, uh, kind of standing in a courtyard, like, you know, holding a beer by myself up against the wall and just kind of looking out at everybody. And uh, and there are these three girls that were kind of all sort of standing next to the keg. And one of these girls was the most beautiful girl I had ever seen in my entire life. 
And I remember kind of looking at her, and she kind of looked at me, and then she'd go back to her friends. And so we were kind of exchanging glances. And I, I remember thinking, I am in love right now. Um, <laughs> and so I finished my... I finished the, the beer that I had and I started walking towards her and uh, and as I'm kind of walking towards her, she's still talking to her friends but she's sort of watching me come at her and then I get sort of close to her and she, she turns and she smiles at me and I can't talk. And so, because uh, I'd always, up until this point, I'd been completely terrified of of girls, I, I still am, but but back then it was it was worse, and so um, and so she's looking at me, and the only thing that I could say is, uh, "Excuse me, can I sneak by you?" And I and so I I filled up my keg cup, and then I went back to my spot on the wall, and I was like, "This is it. This is awesome." You know, girls, schmirls, like I've got beer. And I can just sort of be a part of, but not really be a part of. Um, and that's kind of how, you know, I that uh, started like a like a twenty year bromance uh, with beer. Um, and I, I drank a lot of beer in college, um, but I also still went to call. I you know I still went to class. Um, I bought the textbooks. Um, you know, I, I did pretty well and, and life was okay. I, I ended up transferring to University of Washington after that first year. Um, but you know, I, that was sort of drinking beer was fun. Um, yes, I got drunk a lot. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, for me, it was kind of like what they say, you know, the conviviality of, you know, um, it, it was just, it was a lot of fun. And then I remember after graduating from college, like going into a, um, you know, sort of doing a backpacking through Europe trip. And a buddy of mine and I were in Belgium. And we went into a monastery that also had a, a brewery. And uh, I remember having like a, like a Belgian ale. And it was... It was awesome. It was like, this is delicious. Um, and so when I got back to the States, I started to brew a lot of beer. Um, I got into homebrewing. And I and I did that for 20 years. Um, I, it was to the point where I was, I was brewing, and it wasn't so that I always had beer on hand. It was, um, I just, it was very interesting to me. Um, you know, the, the different creativity that you could do with the recipes and, um, you know, trying to match, uh, some of my favorite beers. Uh, I was a beer snob. And so it was, um, you know, it was, yeah, the alcohol there was, it was kind of like, uh, you know, icing on the cake, uh, a little bit, but it was, uh, I really got into, into the, uh, brewing. And so it got actually to the point where, I was brewing so much that I was running out of bottles. And so, because um, we couldn't, I lived in a house with, with three other guys, and we couldn't drink it fast enough. Um, and that really wasn't the point. And so, I was living in 
Wallingford at the time. And so if um, the recycling back then was on Thursday nights, and so people would put their recyclings out on Wednesday. And so Wednesday night at about 11 o'clock, I would dress all in dark clothing with a backpack and rifle through everyone's recycling and pull out all of their bottles um, so that I had something to put the beer in. And, and so if anyone here lived in Wallingford in the early 90s and was worried that there was a prowler terrorizing the neighborhood, see me after the meeting because I probably owe you an amends because that was me in your recycling bin. Um, and so that's kind of how my, my late twenties, early thirties sort of went like beer became a very big part of my life. Um, it was my hobby. It was part of my identity. Um, it was something that I did for enjoyment. It was, like I said, it was the icing on the cake. Um, I love beer. I love Costco sheet cake. And so I'm probably pretty close to both of them. And, and so um, I've often described like my life then was like a, a multi-layered Costco sheet cake. Um, and, and uh, you know, friends, family, my career, um, volunteering in the community. I did all of this stuff. And beer was the icing on the cake. Um, I wasn't drinking to get drunk. Um, it was just, it was the reward at the end of a long day. Um, now if I had the chance to get a slice of Costco cheat cake that was like in the corner where it had three sides of ice cream, I would always go for that or three sides of frosting. And that was out like more beer was always better, but that wasn't the, that wasn't the end all be all. Um, I ended up getting married, or I went to law school, and I ended up getting married, and uh, started to work at the prosecuting attorney's office as a criminal deputy prosecuting DUIs, and uh, my drinking was not out of control at that point. Um, I could stop if I wanted to. There just was no reason for me to stop. Um, when my wife was pregnant with our second child and she couldn't drink during that. I didn't drink during that, um, during her pregnancy. And it wasn't that big of a deal, uh, at the time. But I think the amount that I drank and the frequency that I drank and, um, the extent, the, the length that I did during that time, it was, um, it was making changes to my body that uh, would come back to, to boomerang on me um, when I didn't expect it. And so, um, you know, life was pretty good for me, and I was pretty happy. And then it, was, it probably wasn't until sort of the late, my late 30s, that, you know, stuff kind of started to, to get a little bit um, difficult for me. Um, I left the prosecuting attorney's office by that time and was uh, working for a small uh, civil litigation firm and uh, realized I didn't like the business of law. I liked doing the legal work, but I, I wasn't a good salesperson. I wasn't a good 
finding the clients. Um, and I started to feel trapped in that job. Um, my marriage was starting to sort of unravel. Um, and not in a bad way. There wasn't, um, there wasn't fights, or, you know, physical fights or, or stuff. It just, she and I sort of realized we were very different people. Um, we were similar in a lot of ways, but, but we kind of looked at life differently and we were sort of going in different paths and, uh, we probably never should have gotten together in the first place. But by this time we had these two wonderful girls and, uh, and there was no way that I was ever going to leave those, those kids. Um, and so I was willing to, you know, keep my mouth shut and, be miserable in that marriage um, just so that I could stick around those kids. And, uh, and so I wasn't happy in that and my job wasn't going so well. And then there was like a couple more things that, that happened that, um, that all kind of came to a head. And again, up to this time, you know, I, I drank for enjoyment, but I didn't drink necessarily for effect. Um, but I was at a point in my life where it was almost as if someone came and, and tugged me on the, on the sleeve and said, hey, you know what? The amount of stuff that you've been drinking, that can help you with those feelings too. And, that cha- and so when I started to drink for effect, all bets were off. Um, and, and that's like, I don't know if I had already crossed that line, as they say in the book. Or if that was the line that I crossed, but but as soon as I started to drink with a purpose, um, not for enjoyment, but to for the effect, um, I was doomed. I was doomed. I didn't know it at the time, but but I was doomed. And so, um, you know, things spiraled down, and you know, as I got more depressed, and as I got more resentful. And as I got more um, angry at the world, I started to drink more. And it was almost as if um, I couldn't, uh, I, I didn't know how to, to deal with, with life. I didn't know how to deal with, with the realities, the difficulties of life. Everything had always been so easy for me up until that point. And now... Um, now I had challenges, and I was not equipped to to do anything about it. Um, so I was numbing out. I was I was you know self medicating, um, and it got to a point where, you know, we were on a family vacation down in in Puerto Rico, and I'm, you know, up in the in the hotel, you know, on the twenty sixth, twenty seventh floor. And I'm out on the balcony and I'm, I'm wrestling with myself, you know, do I throw myself off the balcony now or do I wait and kill myself when we get home so that it's not a burden for them to get my body back from, from, uh, from Puerto Rico. Um, and then says, well, how are you going to kill yourself when you get back? Well, I could jump in front of a bus, but you know, then I have to deal or like that's traumatic for the bus driver. So. You know, how can I kill myself, make it look like an accident so that they still get the insurance money? 
Um, and, and that solves all my problems. And so they finally, uh, like, finally it was like, I got to, I got to see a psychiatrist. And so, um, so I started seeing a psychiatrist and he, um, he put me on some antidepressants and he put me on some anti-anxiety medicine. And he asked me like, how much are you drinking? And I wasn't honest. You know, I said, you know, I have a couple of beers a week, you know, seven times a week. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but when he put me on that, that anti, um, when he put me on the medicine, you know, the, um, the holy roller that I am, it said like, don't drink. And so I didn't. Um, and you know, the medicine worked. I, I started feeling better. Um, life still wasn't getting very, wasn't getting easier, but it was, I was able to sort of manage it a little bit better. Um, and then I had, you know, then I, so I didn't drink for, for a number of months while I was on that, that medicine. And then, you know, I go to a party and I have one beer and nothing happened. So, you know, it's a classic relapse, which I, I've like, since I've gotten sober, I haven't had a relapse. Uh, but that, that's not to say that I, I, I won't, but it's, um, I kind of had a relapse before I actually ever got sober. And so I understand what that feels like of like, Oh, I got this. This is okay. I can do this now. And, uh, it didn't take long before I was, you know, drinking just as much as I was before. Um, I just didn't want to kill myself anymore. Well, we ultimately got divorced. And, uh, and so I didn't have my kids. And I was extremely angry about that. Um, now, granted, you know, that's on me. Like, my behavior contributed to the divorce. Um, I can't say that my drinking was the sole cause of it. Uh, and in some respects, my, my marriage actually might have contributed to my alcoholism. But, um, but I had a part in that. And I wasn't accepting responsibility for that. I was just pissed. And uh, I was pissed that I couldn't see my kids every day. And, uh, and so I would just, then I was an angry, I would drink at, at my wife. Um, in my shitty little apartment by myself, like, like, what are you doing to me? You know, drink, drink, drink by myself. Um, and just mad that my kids weren't in my life. And then on the one day of the week where they were in my life, I couldn't wait for them to get out of my apartment quick enough because they were now interfering with my ability to drink. I mean, a lot of people, like, again, this has been my home group for about six and a half years. And so we get a lot of speakers. And, and so I've heard a lot of stories. And a lot of the stories, you know, they can kind of compartmentalize them into, you know, their alcoholism can be defined by, well, this is what alcohol did to them. You know? And then there's a, a people that, like, this is what alcohol did for them. And my alcoholism, I think, is, is really what alcoholism, what alcohol did with me. Because when I drank, when I had that first beer, I could not stop. 
at that point. I could not stop. Alcohol would just take me and, and run with me. I always wanted that first beer. I always loved that first beer. But after that first beer, I could not refuse the second. And so, uh, it, it, you know, there were, there were times where the girls would be at my little apartment. And they were maybe you know, four years old and seven years old at that time. And uh, it'd be about 12 o'clock at night. And I'd realize that I didn't have any more beer. And, uh, and I'd have like the, the coin and I'd be like, okay, it'll take me, I think I can get down to the AM PM and back in four minutes. Like, am I going to do it? I'll flip a coin. And I would always flip the coin enough times to where I would go down and do that. You know, leaving my kids alone while I ran down to the, the convenience store at 12 o'clock at night to get two bottles of, of beer that would just sort of tide me over for the rest of the night. And so it was eventually, um, you know, I, I realized I, I can't do this anymore um, and I need to stop. But the problem was I, I couldn't stop. And, and like Adrian, like I wasn't going to ask anyone for help. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a smart guy. I'm a, you know, I, I don't need anyone's help. I'll figure this out on my own. And, and so I tried and I failed and I tried and I failed and I tried and I failed. And I eventually just gave up. And I was like, you know what? F it. I, I can't stop. So... At that point, it was basically just a slow motion suicide for me. And so it was almost as, and the way that I've, I kind of describe it is that it's as if my drinking, I was in a canoe my entire life. And I always stayed close to shore. You know, I was always in the canoe, but I was always close to shore. When I drank for a purpose, I went out into the middle of the current. And when I was out in the middle of the current, Everything was fine for a while, but I didn't realize how strong that current was pulling to, to take me a place where I didn't want to go. And when I finally was like, okay, I've had enough of this. I need to get back to shore. And I started to paddle back. I couldn't make it back. And so I, like everything I was trying to do, I couldn't make it back. I couldn't make it back. And it was as if there was like a waterfall at the end. And I knew that I was going to go over the, the waterfall. I didn't know when. And so I was just holding on to the canoe and going to ride it out to the very end. And fortunately for me, um, before I hit the waterfall, uh, I finally got popped for a DUI. Um, so kind of like the hair club for men, you know, I was a president. Now I'm also a client. Um, so I knew like from prosecuting DUIs that I was going to get sentenced to AA. Um, but when I was sitting in the back of that car, the back of the police car, you know, I, I had shame and I had guilt and I had embarrassment and I had relief because it was like finally something that I can't not, I, I can't hide this. I can't sweep this under the rug. Um, I'm going to have to deal with this. And so I remember um, when I, you know, I got, Arrested on a Sunday, 
And when I got out of jail on Monday, um, first thing I did is I went home and I slept. And then the next day, Tuesday, I went to go see a friend of mine who was a defense attorney that I used to have cases against. And I said, Andy, here's what happened. I need help. And that was the first time I'd ever asked for help. And, uh, and she said, Steve, um, I can help you on the DUI. Uh, sounds like you, you might be interested in some treatment. Uh, you might want to check out an AA meeting. There's a friend of mine that goes to one on Friday. Um, you know, she's talking about the Magnolia Speakers meeting. And I was like, okay, I'll, 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 I'll check that out. And I left her office and I realized there's no fucking way I'm going to make it to Friday and not drink. And so I got online and I saw that there was a meeting that night on my street, but not in my neighborhood, kind of down the road on 85th on Tuesday nights, Loyal Heights. And uh, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go to that meeting. And uh, this is why I love AA is because (laughs) there's someone in this meeting tonight who was there at my first meeting. And this guy, he saved my life. Can he save my life? I, I remember sitting outside that meeting before it started. And, uh, you know, I was just like, how did I get to this point? You know, um, if you guys had never been to, to Laurel Heights, at least back then it was sort of downstairs, um, kind of in this, in this big room. You had to kind of go down these stairs. And they, they had this little blue placard, AA placard that they hang outside and it's kind of blowing in the wind. I remember looking at that like going, Jesus, how did it happen? You know, I remember walking down those steps to go into that meeting. I was so nervous and so scared and so broken. Um, and I sit down and people are laughing. You know, they're, they're telling these stories that are tragic and, and, and laughing about it. And I left that meeting, like, when they were, like came around to me, if they asked me, like, to introduce myself, I don't even think I said I was an alcoholic. I might have said, I'm Steve, I have a drinking problem, you know, and they kind of, ah, they start laughing, you know. But as soon as the meeting was over, they, they come up and they, like, they push this book in my hand, you know, with, with their names and their numbers and say, hey, give us a call whenever you need to and, and come back. And I, and I left that meeting with something that I didn't have before I went in there. And that was hope. It was hope that maybe I didn't have to drink every day. Because back then, like you hear people, they have the gift of desperation. I didn't have that. I had the curse of resignation. That I was going to die a lonely uh, alcoholic death. I didn't know when. If it was going to be five years, 15 years, 25 years. But that was that was the path that my life was on. And this, you know, these set of circumstances, they altered the path that my life was on. These people showed me kindness to a stranger walking in. Um, kind of reminds me of a story that, that sort of goes on on a day like today. You know, like these people that were just, um, you know, they were there to help. And uh, 
and they saved my life. And I remember leaving that that meeting like just on fire that it was um there may be a shot at this. And and since that time, like I jumped into AA with like both feet. And and same with you. Service, you know, got a commitment. And I've never not had a service commitment. Um whether it's in the home group, whether it's at district level, um, you have to be active. I have to be active. I have to be in the solution. Um, I didn't. It, physical sobriety came pretty quickly for me, um, but that emotional sobriety and that spiritual sobriety—you know—that's taken more time for me to do. Um, AA, it helped my alcoholism, but it didn't really help my a-holism. You know, that's that's taken a little bit of time. And so, um, but how my life is different now is that that, that ex-wife that I was so angry with and, and the kids that, that I didn't have an opportunity to be with and was so angry about. You know, one of them, the older one, she's had some troubles along the way. Some of them her own making and some not. Um, some that's scary. Some we didn't know if she was going to survive. And I was really afraid of that. I was afraid that, that she was going to kill herself. And, and my ex-wife was, was really afraid that, that she was going to kill herself, too. That, that Greta was going to, you know, do something that, the teenage girls that have um, been assaulted, you know, do. And, uh, you know, when, when Stacy was scared, you know, rather than the old me, which would like say, see, she's messed up because of you. Like, I was able to ask Stacy, like, how are you doing? Like, like how, how, do, how can we get through this together? Um, how can we put aside sort of our difficulties and, and do the best for our kids? Um, she and I still don't see eye to eye on, on, on a lot of things. Um, but we're able to co-parent our kids a heck of a lot better than we used to be able to be. Um, I got remarried. And now I have a, a third daughter. Um, and my current wife and my my new daughter, you know, they've never seen me drink. Uh, and this week, the five of us were able to spend the week together. Um, and Maddie, my stepdaughter, she lives with her dad back in Tennessee. She, she leaves on Tuesday. And Greta and Harper, my two daughters, they go back to their moms tomorrow. So, you know, tonight is like the last night that we're going to have all be under the same roof. Um, but I have the opportunity to, to spend time with them now. I have a, the opportunity to be in their lives. Um, if I wasn't here um, and, and, and being with you guys tonight, uh, it, it just, AA has saved my life. Um, and you guys have saved my life. Um, I just, I really appreciate you guys being here, and uh, that's all I got. So, thanks. 
Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.